A paralyzing fear of the outside world keeps a woman prisoner inside of her home. She promotes herself from wine and prescription pill enthusiast to the neighborhood peeping Tom, spying on the lives of those around her with a professional Nikon camera and a lens fit for wildlife photography. But when the lens of her camera captures something she was never supposed to see, the line between reality and imagination is blurred to oblivion. Will she have what it takes to make the truth known? Will anyone believe her? Should we? The woman's name is Anna Fox. The book is The Woman in the Window. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get lit. This is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis! Oh, how are you today? You know, I have seen better days. Is that right? Uh, um, Today, I feel like I was filled with anxiety. Mm -hmm. It could be this book, but it could be (laughs) the excitement of... um, releasing this podcast okay so maybe it was the book (laughs) i can understand that how are you i'm good um yeah yeah new year (laughs) new goals same on me though all right but hopefully a little better all right yeah Mm -hmm. anything happened to you this week you want to share anything fun exciting because i got nothing Yeah, I got nothing. Great. Let's move on. (laughs) So, readers, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And the theme this week is agoraphobia and how to feel safer in public spaces. Now, uh, agoraphobia, what is it? Do you know what it is? It's like a fear of open places or being outdoors. you know, it yeah. can take on different things for different people. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a good point. According to the Mayo Clinic, agoraphobia is a type of anxiety disorder where you fear and avoid places or situations that might cause you panic or make you feel trapped, helpless or embarrassed. And these can include a fear of public transportation, uh, being in open or even enclosed spaces, standing in line or being in a crowd like at a concert. And um, it can limit someone's ability to socialize, work and attend important events. It makes the world small for people. Right. Um, Usually it begins before age 35. But I found a BuzzFeed article uh, published August of 2019 entitled People Express a New Kind of Anxiety Living in America After El Paso and Dayton Mass Shootings. So this is the thing. People are starting to develop this type of agoraphobia later in life because of the tragedies that we're faced with, especially in this country, this type of unpredictable violence. Right. Um, Some are starting to feel that they must mentally prepare for violent confrontation before leaving their home each day. Can you imagine? No. So um, have you ever felt that type of anxiety where it's a fear of the unknown outside? I can't say that I have, but I know people that don't travel because of that. Don't travel at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're afraid of planes or they're just afraid of new places. New places. That's sad. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, where do they live? Can I ask? Uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Because sometimes I'll get texts from people who live outside of Chicago and they're like, I heard... This amount of people were shot last night. Are you okay? 
And uh, that doesn't mean, however, that the entire city is on fire. Right. So don't limit necessarily where you travel or how you see the world based on what you see on the news. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember telling you I was in Paris and I couldn't leave my hotel room. Yeah. And I I do think it was like a type of jet lag, but it was this it manifested itself in a fear that I have never experienced before. I've been in countries before where. Yeah. By myself. But I just couldn't leave the hotel. (laughs) There are degrees to anxiety. Yeah. So. Yeah, it so don't discount possi- it. Right. It happens to people. Absolutely. I just got stuck for mm-hmm. two days in a beautiful city watching Sherlock on BBC and ordering uh, room service. I ate so much vegetable risotto. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So happens. how can we overcome it? There's a great article in the Huffington Post um, entitled, It's Hard to Not Be Anxious When Nowhere Feels Safe Anymore. And it references several therapists Um, And their advice on how to overcome this sort of new agoraphobia that people are developing. First of all, and we're going to talk about seven steps. But before we do, um, let's just reiterate. If you feel this type of anxiety and you're like, where is this coming from? Why is why am I scared to go outside? Why is my heart beating fast? Am I having a heart attack? First of all, you're normal. Anxiety doesn't make you weird. We all need to feel some type of control over our environments. And the way the world is right now, many people feel a loss of predictability. You know, this idea that you can just take for granted that you won't be shot walking to the bodega. So don't feel like you're weird. Um, Dr. Victor Schwartz, a chief medical officer at uh, the Jed Foundation, which is a New York facility for mental health, his, he's, he has this quote in the Huffing, Huffington Post article. It's a core principle of human psychology that we need to feel like our world is relatively orderly and predictable. OK, so if you needed a doctor to tell you that, there you go. Um, acts of terrorism, including domestic terrorism, are terrible tragedies. But just as much the actions are meant to scare us. That's why it's called terrorism. Um and to not trusting each other, though, and even not caring for each other. Which can be easy to do in this environment. Yes, desensitization. Mm-hmm. Not helping people when you see there's a need. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I can be guilty of that, minding my business to a fault. Yep. So unless you're like a woman or a child. Right. It kind of serves as a protection for yourself because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's scary. You know, we mm-hmm. don't want to lose our uh, apathy or I'm sorry, empathy. Um, So it's not surprising that people will feel not only frightened of reoccurring events, but also our sense of the way things are meant to work. Our sense of the world being safe and supportive gets disrupted, disrupted. So number one, what do we do? Talk about it. Don't avoid people. That's easier said than done. So easy to do, to avoid people. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Avoiding people is great because um, it's just nice to like stay in and comfort yourself. Yeah. And, you know, tell yourself all the things you want to hear. But don't do that. (laughs) Ask a family member or friend to help you get somewhere or to help you talk it out. And it sounds counterintuitive, but also disconnect from electronic communication. You need to talk to somebody instead of texting them. Maybe that's a last resort, but try to call them or even FaceTime them Um, as much as possible. Speak more to people face to face because that kind of like reciprocal reaction, talking to someone and seeing how what you're saying affects them on their face um, helps us to feel valued and present, not just spectators in the world. 
Does oh, that wow. make sense? Mm-hmm. I like that point. So I'm telling you something crazy. You'd be like, what? That makes me feel valued. Yeah. Another quote. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about and process the event If there is a a catastrophic event that is affecting you, talk about it with people who can offer you support. And this should be someone who will listen like a good friend, family member, even your therapist. And mm -hmm. go ahead. Well, I just want to say that this advice came from Christian Sistrunk, a licensed professional counselor in Texas who specializes with anxiety disorder. Okay, I remember um, when 9-11 happened. Yeah, I was so um, I was at your house. You remember that? No, I was at work. Oh, I was at your mama's house. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in you guys' kitchen. Okay, so when that happened, I just remember um, I was very anxious at mm-hmm. that moment and couldn't stop watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. But the I was given direction that said, turn off the TV, stop watching that, mm-hmm. and have a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. and In your immediate present environment. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So that was helpful to me. Once I turned off the TV, I, I was able to release the um, anxiety associated with that event. Oh, my goodness. Step number two, disconnect from the news feed. <laughs> You're oh. very good. <laughs> So you were right on track. Um, While it is sensible to keep updated, we don't want to be addicted to this toxic news because it can start to get sensationalized. Theories can get thrown out there that haven't been validated and it can start to not be helpful. So um, Twitter is good for this because Twitter will give you news before it's validated. I I do get my news from Twitter, I have to say, because <laughs> I like being able to read it and then go. Mm-hmm. But you can't feed on that constantly. Yeah, that's It affects really you in a negative way. Yeah. Dr. Victor Schwartz compared the fear to a fear of flying. A lot of people have a fear of flying because when planes crash, it's all over the news right. and it's publicized so widely. Right. But it is so rare. And the same with terrorist attacks, the same even with um, mass shootings. These things, unfortunately, are becoming um, the frequency is increasing, but they are still rare. Right. This is not something that is happening every day around you here, likely. Right. (laughs) Asterisk, asterisk. Yeah, probably not. Be real. Be in the moment. So, um. Number three, get out and do stuff. Continue living your life and doing things that make you feel happy. If walking downtown by yourself, going to get a cup of coffee makes you feel happy, do that. Go to the library if you're Alexis. Yes, (laughs) library. Stop in there, sit down, read a book. Right. Don't (laughs) stop doing those things. Um, Personal routines help us maintain this sense of control over our environment, leading to less anxiety. Another quote, working, eating healthfully, sleeping and exercising will all help us feel well and maintain our sense of balance and control. And that, again, is from Schwartz. So sleeping, eating healthfully, you know, not a Popeye's chicken sandwich every day. So not cake every day. Well, what kind of cake? (laughs) Probably not. Oh, okay. No, no, probably not. Hmm. And exercise. Who doesn't feel great after exercise? Why aren't we all just, why aren't we exercising right now? Because we don't always get that great feeling after exercise. Ah, You should run. It's great. It's the beginning. That's just garbage. Yeah. So you got to get past that beginning. Yep. And then it's like, oh, look what I did. Wait, am I amazing? Wait, am I a superhero? I love it. Let's go right after this. Moving on. Number four, be aware of your thoughts. If there is no present 
danger. If you are immediately not in danger, choose to focus on the things around you. Repeating that again, if you are not in present danger, but you're thinking about hypothetical danger, stop thinking about that and think instead about even the color of the sky, (laughs) the color of the ground. You put yourself in the moment. Yeah. Another quote, I would encourage everyone to support themselves by taking deep breaths and becoming an observer of their thoughts. And this is from Nicole Bentley, a licensed therapist and intake coordinator at Cityscape Counseling in Chicago. Hey, Chicago. Breathing exercises, they work, as we talk about in the book today. Exhale longer than you inhale. Let's do it now. What are we doing? I forgot. (laughs) Exhale longer than you inhale. Um, Try those grounding exercises we touched on where you look at the sky and think about it. Is it blue or is it cerulean? Miranda Priestley. And then make a note about the type of outfit you're wearing. Really do all that stupid stuff to put you in the moment and take you out of this negative hypothetical reality. Yeah. Number five, get involved. Combat feelings of powerlessness by volunteering to donate time or effort helping others. This is something you do very regularly. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. contest to it helping. Yeah. You know, that's a, a, a tip for a lot of things mm-hmm. to help others to get outside back. of your own head mm-hmm. and volunteer. Yeah, and that's helpful. Yeah. It makes a difference. Yep. Number six, take note of your surroundings. Um, So this is different than looking at the sky and all that. This is practical advice. When you are in a situation like a concert, look around and look for the exits. What what is the exit closest to you? Um, You and I have an SOS um, thing on our phone where if we hit a button three times, it sends a photo and of... Audio recording. Audio recording mm-hmm. to people we have chosen. Right. Um, I have chosen you and my, as, and my husband, and you get a lot of photos of me <laughs> on the toilet. <laughs> oh, that's not true. I have never gotten a photo of you on you the toilet. You didn't know it, but that's what was going on. <laughs> what I do pay attention to is the audio. Yeah. Because the audio says if you're with someone, if you're alone, that's what I pay attention yeah. to. So not so much um, the photo, but the audio recording and the location. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sends a um, map too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very cool service. So see if your phone has that. It's SOS service. Um, it's on like galaxies. I don't know what other phones have them, but yeah, see if your phone does that. If it'll send an SOS to people you choose. Have numbers saved in your phone as ICE. I know your sister does this. Yeah. Do you do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. ICE means in case of emergency. So if you have ICE, you know, David, I'm sorry, that's my elbow. Ice David, Ice Mama, Ice whoever. That lets people know if they're going through your phone and you're incapacitated to call these people in case of emergency. Right. Um, Try not to give into panic. I remember I was at a festival and um, Summerfest in Milwaukee Mm -hmm. and someone said someone was shooting and everyone started running. And the person I was with, a woman, grabbed me like she was a grown man and threw me under a bar and said, hey, we're not running. Right. And you I don't said, know oh, where you're crazy. Running I'm to. running. No, 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 no. We do not run. You do not run. We are not running. Because you don't know where you're running to. And it turns out no one was even shooting. Right. It was just panic. And people get trampled in those scenarios. Absolutely. So you have to think mm-hmm. before you act. And a lot of that running is not Help. people even close enough yeah. to experience. They just re- react. Mm-hmm. So. so you got to think. Don't don't panic. 
And seven, lastly, don't be afraid of professional help. Speak with a therapist. Um, Through psychotherapy, a therapist can help you set goals toward progression. Learn what triggers you and how to cope. Learn how to safely challenge your fear and how to think rationally. So, and be patient with yourself. I'm just going to throw that in because we're all human. Yeah. Those are all very good tips. Yeah, I like those. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I like them a lot. Let's move on. <laughs> Alexis. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, can you give us some background, some context on AJ Finn? Uh, absolutely. The author of A Woman in the Window. You know what? I'm talking to the woman in the window. I think it's the man in the mirror. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Anyway, there's like so much information out there about him, but not a lot. good, And I actually thought this was a woman. Turns out... Yeah, A.J. Finn, I think that's on purpose. It's very... A.J. Finn is not actual author. What do they call those? Pseudonyms. Pseudonyms. He uses a pseudonym. His name is Daniel Mallory. He is a native New Yorker and he lived in England for 10 years and he wrote The Woman in the Window while living in New York and working as a VP and executive editor at a publisher. I want to say Morrow. The publisher that bought his book, William something. William Morrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was working at William Morrow and they published it in January 2018. What I found interesting is that I guess they bid for the actual book that he's written. Yeah, publishers bid for the the manuscript, sure. Yes, yes. So there was a bid going on and they got to $750,000 and then he revealed his name. And everyone was like, oh, it's you? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to have to just take that bid back. Yes. And I'm sure you'll do great, but I don't want to be a part of it. Yes, yes. And so the publishers backed out and they ended up it ended up going to William Morrow, who was his employer at the time, and they're like really excited about it. So mm-hmm. it's been a huge success. It's been a huge success, but it comes with so much drama. His story does. Listen, listen. Let me tell you. So un- much unnecessary drama. <laughs> yeah, unnecessary drama. Unnecessary drama. There was an article in the New York Times about Darren Morrow. No, Mallory, Mallory, the New Yorker. I read that long form article in the New York title. Hey, hey, he lying. <laughs> I think look up. Hey, everybody, look up. Hey, no, hey, no, he lying. No, in the New Yorker, a suspense novelist trail of girl. Deception. That's the New Yorker, and they didn't hold no pun. And they threw they in some did shade. Not. I read some sentences in that. Um, the New Yorker, you right. You I read right. some sentences like this. Don't even have to be here. This is just shady. It's just unnecessary. <laughs> but not guess fire. what I did? What? I listened to the audio reading of it <laughs> of the New Yorker article. Yes, you can listen to audio readings of long form articles yes you yes. have just saved me please tell me how to do that uh, it's it pops up right away it's the second time okay, i've done great. that do you have to subscribe to the new yorker to do that no okay. i am not unsubscribed <laughs> not subscribed <laughs> okay <laughs> cool cool go ahead yeah thank so you there mm-hmm. like was just so much information in there and for me it starts with um his application to oxford after he was um he was already accepted but 
I think he's trying to connect himself with the new college of Oxford. So Oh, this like is that. something that's prestigious, right? For writers. A lot of writers try to. Yeah. Yeah. So he sent in a, a personal, he sent in an extended personal statement that included unbearable family sufferings as a reason to why his performance as a master's student at Oxford was good, but not brilliant. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it it starts with things like his mom had breast cancer. His brother is mentally disadvantaged. He had um, cystic fibrosis. The brother died while he was taking care of him. He was Mm -hmm. taking care of him. His mom got a brain tumor. And all this is happening while he's in school. Mm -hmm. And so he's going back and forth to um, the United States. And the powers at Oxford, one thing that touched them about this letter is that it wasn't overly sappy. Right. It was hitting on all these sad points that made you feel it without indulging in it. So he really was able to like pull back on his own like. You know how some people are telling you their sad story and they're really loving it. Yeah. You're like, oh, you really love. He didn't do that. Yeah. He was like, yeah, it's sad. But, you know, what are you going to do? Right. Right. Also, my mom complained a lot as she was dying. Right. Why did he say that? <laughs> she wouldn't die gracefully. And what are you going to do? It, it, did he refer to the little woman? Yeah. He um, was reading that to her like, this is how you can die gracefully. And she laughed. And he was like, yep. Yeah. She doesn't want to do that. Well, it turns out his mom is not dead. Girl, all these people is alive. (laughs) Uh, One of the things in there was that his brother committed suicide. So Mm -hmm. I thought there were two brothers. But it's just the one and they have two sisters. Mm -hmm. And the mom is still alive. Mm -hmm. She and the husband have been married for 40 years. Um, He even said that he was the child of a he was a he was in a single family home. (laughs) His daddy like, great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See yeah. how it is. Yeah. Uh, so it was just a lot of little things that were so unnecessary. They talk about a time where he used the corporate card for Amazon um, UK. And when he was confronted about it, he said it was an error and that he had a reoccurrence of can- cancer. Well, so part <laughs> He also, in his essay, Mm -hmm. spoke about his own sufferings of cancer, but his father said he never had cancer. Right. He also claimed to have two PhDs, which he didn't. It doesn't sound like he finished his doctorate at um, Oxford. It almost seems like he could have. So, I I mean, I did see that he he does claim he had a doctorate, allegedly claims that he has a doctorate at Oxford that he never got. Yeah. Yeah. And this was interesting he ends up leaving um, <laughs> his working in, Brit- in Britain and goes to the States. And his leaving Britain was because it, he had lied about getting a job or is Listen, this another he time? was burning bridges like crazy. Yeah, yeah. He lied Allegedly. about getting, <laughs> being offered a job by another uh, company. The CEO of the company that he worked at Ran into that person and was like, hey, you offered him a job. She was like, no, uh, no, I did not. So he was trying to leverage that one position for another. I mean, that does happen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why people do that, but yeah, it happened. Well, the CEO of the company that he worked for didn't care like for people that. people don't talk. Right. And so that wasn't something to fire him over, they said, but he it didn't last much longer. Mm-hmm. He ended up going and applying for a job back in the States. And he worked in the States. 
his co-workers in the States said he spoke with a British accent, oh, a man. fake British accent. I did not read that. A grown man walking around. This is in quotes, please. A grown <laughs> man walking around with a fake accent that everyone knows is fake, unquote. That lasted for a year. <laughs> so another scenario that he had was fake emails from his brother. His brother's name was Jake Mallory. And so the emails would come from him and they were talking about surgeries that he was having. Like he's going through his cancer bout oh again and he, you know, pray for him. They weren't asking for money. It was just like an update. Mm-hmm. Turns out those were lies. He admit he says his brother did not send them and that he is not, he himself was not Jake. So he didn't send them and his brother didn't send them. Then who sent them? Right. So we don't know. It turns out they did a little investigation and on Facebook at the time of this big surgery that he was supposed to have, his brother was getting married mm-hmm. and stuff. So it was a wedding mm-hmm. and his professional wedding pictures mm-hmm. that were posted. All so, over social media. Yeah, all on the social media. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Sophie Hannah, you remember her? Mm-mm. Sophie Hannah is the woman that was given permission to write Agatha Christie stories. She was allowed to continue the oh, story. Series. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Okay. Um, her club. Pro. Pro. Yeah, yep. sure. Mm-hmm. She was allowed to continue the series. Well, she worked with him. She liked him very much. They got along. She said she never really believed his stories of personal illnesses that he had. Mm-hmm. They say that she also wrote a book about him. <laughs> what? She incorporates some of the things that he said and done. Get out. And then she wrote a separate book and it's called The Warning. And I think the book that is Hercule Perot's book is called Closed Casket. That's okay. where she includes stuff that he has done. They say he gaslights, he lies, and he manipulates. Mm-hmm. That's what people say. He's also accused of stealing work from a 1995 film, Copycat. And they kind of give a synopsis of it Mm -hmm. and it sounds just like this book allegedly 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 yeah hey but you you, are you done i got one more thing yes please so in the summer of of (laughs) 2015 mallory said he was at home and this is how he says (laughs) how the woman in the window came to be he said mallory said he was at home for weeks adjusting to meds he watched rear window and noticed a neighbor in the apartment across the street said how funny he said to himself voyeurism dies hard the story suggested itself so that's how it came so to what be. do you do with this information D- does it taint the way you take in this the work I, I thought about that i'm like would i not read this book because i have seen people say well i'm not going to touch anything he does because i don't know it's legitimacy right and i respect that but i have to say that all this drama adds to the book for me (laughs) like oh my goodness it's in the book it's out the book everybody crazy I feel like the insanity of the characters in the book are reflective of his own like issues and that's just absolutely and here's the thing about that as I was listening to the article for the New Yorker they kind of highlighted just that yeah 
He loved drama. Mm-hmm. So he felt like he feels like because he is very much alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, his comments are definitely turned off on Instagram. But he always. Is, yeah, he, <laughs> he don't want the smoke. This is being made into a movie. Everyone yeah. calm down. OK. Um, he also said that on his recommendation, you know, J.K. Rollins books were published. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, thank him, J.K. And then also Tina Fey worked with him yes. on her biography. Tina Fey's people come out and said, huh? Nope. No. That never happened. So it's so much. But he's known in the publishing world. As a liar. Right. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> he likes to lie. But and he, he likes the drama and the sympathy and the drama. Yeah. And he so does. He actually, he said he has um, bipolar 2 something else. Okay. And so he contributed all of these actions to, to his bipolarism. To his, it, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> it looks to be like he may be a big liar. And uh, now we're going to review his book. <laughs> Let's the get woman into it. Okay. Can you give us a synopsis without spoilers of The Woman in the Window? The Woman in the Window is the story of Dr. Anna Fox, a 38-year-old psychologist, child psychologist, who suffers from agoraphobia. Dr. Fox, separated from her family, is an avid watcher of old movies. She's also a heavy drinker, pill-popping boyer who lives in a New York brownstone. Dr. Fox witnesses a violent act in the home of her newest neighbors. In an effort to understand what happened, we discover the new neighbor's secret as well as Dr. Fox's. Mm. You know, so that's the synopsis. What are your first thoughts? Oh, so my first thoughts of the book. We both have heard great things. You're mm-hmm. not even into reviews or what other people think. Right. And you still have heard good things about this book. So, you know, I was eager to read it. I love Rear Window, mm-hmm. uh, Alfred Hitchcock's movie. And I thought this is going to be the book version with a twist, a spin. Oh, okay. You did uh, come with yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, what did can, you think? How can they make a spin on that? Uh, they did it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we say that because we don't know who wrote this book. No, I'm just <laughs> I'm just kidding. AJ, this AJ book. I believe you, AJ. You wrote this. So my initial thought, you know, I didn't know what to expect going in other than the rear window thing. So I just waiting for it to jump right in. And one of the things it didn't do, I feel was jump right in. So it took me a second uh um, to kind of get into it. I think I was on chapter 10 before I started caring. Oh, yeah. but you know, these chapters are so short and I hate every episode to be like, we love short chapters, Yeah, but we do. I, I, and <laughs> I really do. It so kind of moves the book along. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, now that we have our first thoughts, context and a brief synopsis, let's take a deep dive. Splish splash into the woman in the window. Yes. So we're going to dive deep and we're going to have spoilers. So many spoilers. Lots of spoilers. Lots of okay. Them. So now's your chance to put pause on <laughs> and go and read, go read the book. <laughs> Come back later. <laughs> All right. So we're introduced to Anna Fox in chapter one right away. Not only does she have a cat, <laughs> she also has a therapist, Bina. And her therapist is also physical her friend. Therapist. Yeah, physical therapist that she sees once a week. She's her friend. They're, but she gets paid to be there. Yeah. But she seems like she'd hang they around They developed the relationship. Yeah. So to talk a little bit about Anna, she's a child psychologist with agoraphobia. She hasn't been outside of her home in 10 months. Mm-hmm. 
and her agoraphobia is a psychological problem for which she's medicated. And so she has a doctor. His name is Dr. Fielding. Yeah. And he treats her. She sees him as well. Her psychiatrist. Her psychiatrist. Yes. Um, She's in several chat groups. One of the chat groups is for the agoraphobes. Turns out she's outed herself. So she is identified as a doctor. Her handle is the doctors in. She helps people. She provides helpful tips, um, survival guide for newcomers. Um, and that kind of helps her out through the day. Yeah. So acting as a doctor in this forum gives mm-hmm. her a purpose in life. Yeah. And so she doesn't get many visitors. So she spends most of her day online, if not watching out the window. We learn about her home a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. She has a four story brownstone in Harlem. It sounds beautiful. On the first floor is where she watches the neighborhood. She noticed someone else has moved in and that family is the Russells. Mm-hmm. Their family are three, Jane, Alistair and their son, Ethan. Well, once the new family moves in, the new boy, the new neighbor boy, Ethan, comes over and he says at his mom's request to give her a candle. He comes in, they sit, they chat for a little while. Um, he talks, he says that his family moved from Boston to New York for his father's job. Ethan is homeschooled. He says he teaches children with developmental disabilities how to swim and he's not into parties. So right away, she just gets a good vibe from this kid. He's just a good kid. Yep. That's what she identifies him out early on. He even cries while he's there with her and he tells Anna that he misses his friends. How old is he? He's 16 going on 17. Okay. Um, He also tells Anna that they've moved before. Now, the cat takes a liking to Punch, takes a liking to Ethan right away. And Anna thinks this is kind of feels like it's odd because he doesn't like anybody, she Mm -hmm. said. Anna shares an old movie with him. After Ethan leaves, Anna speaks to her husband, Ed. She always starts the conversation out with, guess who? And they have a conversation. She she mentions that the new people have moved in, who they are. Um, He's like, are you surveying your dominion? Yeah. Anna uses internet profiles to kind of find out about her neighbors. Mm-hmm. So that's how she gets to know a little bit more. So she searches them up on internet. She finds out how much their homes are worth. <laughs> she just like got yeah, time. Yeah, she knows all their business. Uh, just well, from like social media and Google. So one of the things Anna does is she... She's home watching people, looking up people on the interwebs. Mm -hmm. Is she drinks? She's a heavy drinker. She's a heavy pill popper. She's a wino. Yeah, she she orders wine in bulk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Uh, goes through like a case a day. Yeah, and her doctor says don't take alcohol with your meds, but she constantly does, and of course tells the doctor that she is not. So she is always pretty doped up. Yeah, no matter what's happening. Because she's popping the pills and she drinks all day long, drinks Mm -hmm. all day and watches old movies. Mm -hmm. So one night, Halloween night, some kids are throwing eggs at Anna's door. She's going outside to confront them and she can't be outside. So all of the outside all at once and all the drama, it just she passes out. Mm -hmm. For an instant, it's silent, as silent as the film. As slow as the sunset, the houses opposite, the three kids between, the street around them, quiet and still, a stopped clock. I could swear I hear a crack as of a felled tree. And then, and then it bulges towards me, swelling, now rushing, a boulder flung from a catapult, slams me with such force, walloping my gut that I fold. My mouth opens like a window. 
wind whips into it. I'm an empty house, rotten rafters and howling air. My roof collapses with a groan, and I'm groaning, sliding, avalanching, one hand scraped along the brick, the other lunging into space. Eyes reel and roll, the lord red of leaves, then darkness lightens up on a woman in black. Vision blanching, bleaching until molten white swarms my eyes and pools there thick and deep. I try to cut out my lips brush grit. I taste concrete. I taste blood. I feel my limbs pinwheel on the ground. The ground ripples against my body. My body ripples against the air. Somewhere in the attic of my brain, I recall that this happened once before. On these same steps, I remember the low tide of voices, the odd word breaching bright and clear. Fallen. Neighbor. Anyone. Crazy. This time, nothing. Arms slung around someone's neck. Hair, coarser than my own, rubs my face. Feet scuffle feebly on the ground, on the floor. And now I'm inside, in the chill of the hall, in the warmth of the living room. Can I just say the pros in this book? I love them. I love how they really pull us into her mind. Mm -hmm. This is a first-person narrative, and we do feel like Anna. We feel that concrete (laughs) coming to our faces. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So someone helps her up and back into the house, and she learns that that someone is Jane Russell, the newest neighbor. She hadn't seen her, and finally she's met her. She talks to Jane. Um, explains her agoraphobia. Um, Jane shares a picture of Ethan as a young boy, a four on her locket, a locket that she wears around her neck. So that happens. Jane presents herself as a friend and a savior when she needed her the most. And she did. Yeah. She came in. She and they're fast friends. Mm-hmm. On her chat group, there's a new member. Her name is Granny Lizzie, and they have an immediate connection. This is a grandmother from Montana whose husband of 47 years recently died and she's just unable to um, leave the house. And Anna does something she typically doesn't do and she reveals her personal name to Granny Lizzie. That's because she's so comfortable with her. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the conversation, she feels good because she's connected with someone and she feels as though she has helped someone. Yeah, she's like making friends even though she can't leave her house. Right. Anna has a tenant, Mm -hmm. not a In the basement. That lives in the basement. A useless character. It was suggested that she needed someone since she couldn't leave the house to kind of help around, run errands, take the trash out. And he helps with that. So what did you think about this character? He's an extra for sure. I mean, I've never Uh seen a character so useless. And and she found him on Craigslist. So that's kind of proof. Yeah. He like fills the audience avatars need for he answers those questions like, well, how does she get things fixed around the house if something happens? But you could always call someone and we have Instacart and you don't need anyone living with you to run errands. Well, she does probably use Instacart. She mentions that. Yeah, right. But this is like around the house, getting your mail. She can't go out and get the mail. Yeah, that's That's true. That's a struggle for her. Mm -hmm. She does need him. And so while he plays a small role. And he's like very attractive. And like always coming from a workout and dewy. I'm so annoyed. (laughs) Why are you mad about that? I didn't like him at all. Why are you mad? I mean, he did do some things. (laughs) After a session with her doctor, they determine that she's getting worse, right? Um, he decides to increase her meds. He tells her not to take take them with alcohol. Anna 
takes some wine and some pills, goes up to be a peep in time. And as she's looking out the window at Ethan, this boy that she has taken into her heart, she looks downstairs in Ethan's home and Jane, his mother, is looking at her in her face. Yeah. And she's so she she waves at her and she's so stunned. She drops the camera. Yeah. She realizes that no one has ever caught her before. <laughs> Jane ends up coming by and they chat for hours. As mm-hmm. we mentioned, they've fast friends. Anna shares a bit about herself. They drink, they play chess. Well, the first thing Jane says is, you must be so bored in this house. Yeah. What a non-judgmental thing to say to someone who's staring at you from across the street. She was really kind about the fact that she was looking at her through a camera. (laughs) It's insane. (laughs) And the lens on this thing. I mean, for a photographer, I don't have to. Oh, you already know it. She must have a camera that first of all is out of her necessity it's it's more than she needs in any type of situation and her lens must be so expensive because she can look across the street and zoom in on what people are looking at on their computers yeah <laughs> it's, it's crazy she, what lens is this she actually says <laughs> at some point in the book that i i want i will be a photographer but i changed my mind she can't go outside <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah so they talk for several hours again she shares stuff about him she said um jane says that alistair is a good man the husband yeah and a good father but is controlling and she describes herself as having been a wild child um she says that family is challenging and alistair is challenging after they have that good time it was about two and a half hours she leaves Later that evening, Alistair stops by and asks if Anna had any visitors. Well, just real quick. So while she's there, there are a couple interactions that are pretty important. Like Anna asks Jane about her earrings and Mm -hmm. Jane is like, oh, an old boyfriend gave them to me. Anna's like, does your husband mind? And they like laugh. And then also Anna's like, um, or Jane's like, Anna, I know you can't go outside, but you can take a photo of the beautiful sunset from right here in your living room. And she takes a photo with her cell phone. She goes, look, there, beauty. Yeah. And it's like really sweet. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so like they were, they could have been besties. Yeah. Yeah, they could have been besties because they played chess all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, That whole time. And she was so non-judgmental. Very, very. Mm -hmm. And Anna needed that. Yeah. Anna needed that. So as I mentioned, Alistair later stops by the house and ask if Anna had any visitors. Anna lies and says no. <laughs> and I think, it's, of course, it's based on the idea that he's, he's controlling. Yeah, she doesn't mm-hmm. want to get Jane in trouble. Right. She doesn't want to get Jane in trouble. But she mentions to him that, please thank your wife for the candle that Ethan brought over. So he, he kind of questions that a little bit and then leaves. A little more into the evening, she ends up snatch, snapping pictures of the family at home like living through them vicariously having a family through them yeah because she has a family but where her husband and her daughter she talks to which what seems like on the phone yeah a lot yeah they're they're separated separated. Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like they're talking on the phone Mm -hmm. um one evening while considering what movie to watch she hears a scream and it's coming from number 207 that is the russell home 
And so she calls. Ethan says everything's fine. He lost his temper. Talking she, about the dad. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she asks, do you need any help? Ethan says no, kind of hangs up. She calls again and speaks to Alistair, who denies the scream happened and essentially hangs up because he's like, that didn't happen. He's kind, though, about it. Yeah. But he's like, no, I'm sorry, you, you're mistaken. Right. He said, it's only my son and myself here. Mm-hmm. She asks David, who was the downstairs tenant, did he hear a the scream? The hottie with the body who has no reason for being the in the story. <laughs> and he says, no, he didn't hear it. Later, Ethan comes by to Anna and apologizes and said his dad was yelling and he needed to get out of the house. Anna gives Ethan her cell phone number. And then one evening while very drunk, she sees Jane in the argument with someone but can't tell who it is. She sees Jane get stabbed. Jane gets stabbed. There is a what looks to be. Yeah, the handle of a knife or we later find a letter opener in her chest and as Jane is bleeding, she points to Anna's mm-hmm. window. Because she knows Anna's She knows watching. Anna's watching. Mm-hmm. Anna's struck by this. She sees all of this happening. And she calls 911. She says, I need to go out and do something about it. Yeah, so my friend needs leaves. me. Yes. So she attempts to leave the house and has a panic attack and passes out in the park on the way to the Russell home. Mm-hmm. She wakes up Friday in the hospital sedated. In the hospital, we meet um, Detective Little. He tells Anna that they found her in the park unconscious. They went into her house because the door was open and kind of looked around. They asked her if she was drinking and she says a little, um, but they have gotten information about her But she's her like slurring her. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. I drinking. Right, right. Like, she's tough. You really messed up. Mm-hmm. So they take Anna home. And this is hard for Anna because she's outside. She hasn't been outside like this in 10 months. So she's seeing her neighborhood for the first time in a a long time. And when she gets home, she tells them about her doctor, her depression, her panic disorder, her drug regimen, and then 10 months being in a home and Dr. Phil's treatment. They see that Anna is very concerned with this Jane Russell. So they kind of put her at ease and say, well, they didn't really put her at ease, but they tried to put her at ease by telling her that uh, Jane is alive. Mm-hmm. So the Russell family actually comes to her home and they kind of confirm that when the Russells come over first, it's Alistair and Ethan that come that come in. Suddenly Jane comes in. Jane is like, I'm Jane Russell. And Anne is like, I've never seen you before in my life. Da, da, da. She's like, well, I can pull out my driver's license and show you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, um, you can show me anything you got, but you ain't Jane Russell. Jane. That's how Anna feels. Yeah, that's and how Jane's she feels. like, no, I, I am Jane Russell, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Detective Norelli is kind of that bad cop. So they play a kind of good cop, bad cop. Routine. I don't think they play in. Norelli is like, I'm sick of this. You obviously just need attention. Yep. You're wasting all of our time. And she says, let me just tell you this. It's a criminal offense to write a false, re- to make a false report. Anna Fox is a little defeated. But Bina before they leave, it. Detective Little is like, listen, if you are going through something or if you're not, this is my number. You contact me personally. Yeah, he does. Say he that. really cares. And he's like. You know, I got it. He's like telling her about his life. Yeah, he's got a he's daughter. Like, yeah, it can't four kids, I think, four girls. And yep. he's like, it can't be easy just being cooped up in here all the time. You know, if you need someone to talk to, we have good people at the police department. Mm-hmm. So you call. 
Yeah, he offered up one of their counselors or some of their counselors. She tells Ed what happened. She tells Bina, the psych, the physical, physical therapist. therapist. Yeah. Um, they're not really buying it, but they do uh, make some kind of implication. Well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that, but they're not really buying it. Anna asked David if he met Jane Russell and he said he never met her. Anna later goes into David's room uninvited and she sees an earring on his like dresser or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he catches her in his room. Snooping through his Snooping floor. Through things. His so flat. he's livid. Mm-hmm. He's very angry with her. And um, after that action, Anna kind of stops drinking for a few hours, <laughs> not days. Anna goes um, back online, kind of checks in with Granny Lizzie. And gives her some basic tips for living without her husband. Okay, so one of those tips includes selecting passwords because it's a digital world and Granny does not feel prepared to do things for herself. So even her husband did everything. Her husband did everything. He was very capable and she relied on him. So now she has to even set up her own online passwords. And she's like, how can I remember all these passwords? I'm old. Listen, Granny, none of us can remember all of our passwords. Yeah. So, yeah. So Anne gives her some tips on how to easily choose passwords by replacing like letters in your name with numbers, things like that. And she feels good about herself for doing that. Yeah. So she feels like she's really helping Granny Lizzie. All right. Into the second week, David comes. He apologizes for how he reacts. He admits he just recently got out of jail and um, sorry he didn't tell her. That happens. And that's why he's protective with his stuff. Yep. Yeah. And Anna's shocked. Um, she He says, do you want me to leave? And while she's shocked, she doesn't say she doesn't want him to leave, but she doesn't seem to trust him. Again, I'm sorry. Very quickly, my problem with David as a character is that Anna is so involved in everyone's lives across the street. Except she has Googled everything about them. The but the in man her in her basement she wouldn't know about. Yeah. I don't buy that. Oh. I think she would know him thoroughly but she before letting him into her home. Yeah, she didn't. And Even she comments. She actually comments on that. Right. So she doesn't tell him to leave. Because he's attractive. Yeah. So, yeah, I know you went to jail, but you can stick around. Mm-hmm. Just keep working out. Even though she doesn't really feel like she wants him to stick around. Time passes. Anna sees Jane, this new Jane in the house. And she's watching her and she sees her leave the house. Anna decides that she wants to confront her. Who are you? You know, my friend Jane. Yeah. She wants to confront her. Where's Jane? So she has, she follows her to the coffee shop on the corner, on the corner. And there she has a spell. They call her and she doesn't really respond when they call her. Right. What Jane? Right. Yeah, I felt they like three oh, times. she's not the real Jane because they're calling her for her drink and she's not really responding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another the neighbor kid sees her and kind of helps her out because he can see that she's having a panic attack. Also, she's wearing a bathrobe. Also, she's wearing a bathrobe. <laughs> and like house shoes. Yeah. At the coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, Jane Russell says, this is enough. Are you stop bothering us? So she calls the police, the detective little and says, hey, that woman is following us. Can you make her stop? He calls Anna and has a conversation with her about it. All right. Anna realizes that someone has been in her house. What? Yeah. Anna realizes that someone's been in her house because she was emailed a picture of herself sleeping. (gasps) The email address comes from guesswhoanna at gmail.com with the subject line, Jane Russell. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So she, of course, is shocked by all of this. She immediately calls 
Detective Little, he says, get to the front door. I want you to be ready to run if you need to run because he asks her, is anyone in the house? Mm -hmm. So she does that. She also has an issue with her cell phone. Yeah. um, Where she's tried to key in the password and it doesn't seem to work. So she ends up having to change her password. Meanwhile, Anna finds a picture that Jane drew of her. (laughs) So while while they had that connection and they were like hanging out and... She was telling her about her earrings. Jane also picked up a pencil and paper, pen and paper, and drew a picture of Anna. Anna. In just a few minutes. Right. Um, because of, she finds, locates this picture because she had put it away in a drawer, she calls Ethan over to discuss that. When detectives arrive, they see, of course, Ethan at the home of Anna, and they're like, what's going on? In an attempt to explain, they again tell her that she's attention-seeking. Um that she took the picture that was emailed to her of herself, sleeping. of herself sleeping. She created the Gmail account, which is untraceable, which is untraceable. And also drew the picture of herself. Yeah. They're putting it all on her. They're you did all this all on her. And again, it's all an attempt to get attention. And why? I move forward, just a small step, but everyone else retreats as though I'm an approaching storm, as though I'm a predator. Good. Someone comes into my house when I'm asleep and photographs me and sends me the photo and you blame me? I hear the catch in my throat, the crack in my voice. Tears are rolling down my cheeks. I keep going. I'm not crazy. I'm not making any of this up. I point a jittering finger at Alistair and Ethan. I'm not seeing things that aren't there. All this started when I saw his wife and his mother get stabbed. That's what you should be looking into. Those are the questions you should be asking. And don't tell me I didn't see it because I know what I saw. Silence. They're frozen, a tableau. Even Punch has gone still, his tail curled into a question mark. I wipe my face with the back of my hand, drag it across my nose, push my hair out of my eyes, raise the glass to my mouth, drain it. Little comes to life. He steps towards me, one long, slow stride, clearing half the kitchen, his eyes fastened on mine. I set the empty glass on the counter. We look at each other across the island. He places his hand over the top of the glass, slides it away as though it's a weapon. The thing is, Anna, he says, speaking low, speaking slow. I talked to your doctor yesterday, after you and I had our phone call. My mouth goes dry. Dr. Fielding, he continues, you mentioned him at the hospital. I just, I wanted to follow up with someone who knew you. My heart goes weak. He's someone who cares about you a lot. I told him I was pretty concerned about what you've been saying to me, to us. And I was worried about you all alone in this big house because you told me that your family was far away and you had no one here to talk to. And and I know what he's about to say and I'm so grateful that he's the one to say it because he's kind and his voice is warm. And I couldn't bear it otherwise. I couldn't bear it. But instead, Norelli cuts him off. It turns out your husband and your daughter are dead. After this conversation, that is enough because it has been said out loud that... Her family, her husband and her daughter have died. And Ed she's and Olivia. Been, yeah. And they've been, she's been going through life as if they were living, talking about them as if they were living. She feels like she's self-soothing and she's very careful in how she describes them and where they are because she just doesn't want to say that they're dead, but right. she also doesn't want to act as if they're still alive. 
after this experience of it being broadcast out loud, now everybody knows. She tries to disconnect from everyone, including Bina, the physical therapist, Dr. Fielding, and even Granny Lizzie. She goes into the into the chat room and tells Granny Lizzie, hey, my family has died. Okay, I'm done talking you. To should you. know this. Mm-hmm. And she logged out. She even stops drinking for three days. Which was really good for her. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even notice. Yeah. Ethan stops by one night to return the movie he borrowed. And Anna says, here, take the key to my house. And she tells him this because he says, the parents have got a lot of going on. There's frustrations. And I just want some quiet to myself. So she offers her this basement space that David that, but, had mm-hmm. abandoned. So once it comes out that her family has died, David is like her basement tenant. This is weird. This is also weird because in their confrontation with the cops, she accuses she's him. like, David's been to jail. Look into his past. Maybe he did it. And yeah. he's like, oh, this is gross. Yeah. So he moves out. He and, said it got weird. Yeah. And it did. So Alistair, uh, Ethan's father, finds out that she has given her son, his son, a key to her house. He doesn't like it. Who would? Yeah, that's weird. And returns the key. I've been patient, Mrs. Fox. Dr. Fox, whatever you call yourself. His words drip with booze. He's very drunk, I realize. I've been patient. I've put up with a lot. We all have, but especially me. Now I can see him more clearly. His jacket is zippered to the collar and he's wearing dark gloves. My throat tightens. Still, I don't respond. Instead, I move to the light switch, reach for it. Glass explodes inches from my outstretched hand. I jump back. Keep the lights off. I stand still, my fingers wrapped around the doorframe. Someone should have warned us about you. You gave my son the key to your apartment. I'm returning it. Even if you weren't out of your mind, I wouldn't want him spending time with a grown woman. I'll call the police. Go ahead. Here's your phone. The police think you're a joke, he says, taking a step toward me. I raise the box cutter. Oh, oh, what do you want to do with that? Again, he steps forward. This time, so do I. Get out of my house, I tell him. My arm wobbles. My hand is shaking. The blade gleams in the light. A little slice of silver. He stopped moving, stopped breathing. Who was that woman? And suddenly his hand lunges for my throat, seizes it, drives me backward so that I thud against the wall, my head cracking hard. I cry out, his fingers press into my skin. You're delusional. His breath, hot with liquor, flames against my face, stings my eyes. Stay away from my son. Stay away from my wife. I'm gagging, grasping with one hand. I claw at his fingers, rake my nails across his wrists. With the other, I swing the blade toward his side, but my aim sails wide and the box cutter clatters to the floor. He steps on it, squeezes my throat. I croak. Stay away from all of us. Go. So he got violent with her. He did. He's creeping me out. Yeah. It's starting to feel like he has something to do with this murder thing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is what she thinks all along. Well, who do you think did it right now? Oh, at this point in the book? Do you think Jane's dead? Do you think the woman in the house is Jane and that our protagonist can't be trusted? I think she's an alcoholic mm-hmm. and she can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. So I, I And she's kind of, you feel deceived about her family because she never told us. She never told us. Long story short, she had an affair. 
her husband decided to divorce her, but they took one last trip to the mountains to like go skiing uh, with their kid, with Olivia, before they divorce. And during the trip, like at the very beginning, after they check in the hotel, he's like, I can't do this. Let's just tell her we're getting divorced. Let's tell Olivia. Because <sighs> he's like broken inside. And yeah. so he's like, I just want to get away from you. So they tell Olivia and Olivia's, she's like, I want to go home. And there's a snowstorm and the, the road is tricky because it wraps around a mountain. And it's either the mountain on one side or a cliff on the other. Sheesh. That plus ice is a dangerous situation, but they all they feel guilty as well. They should, especially Anna. And so they give in and start heading home almost immediately after they got to the resort. But through a storm, but through a storm and through this storm, they veer off a cliff. Yeah, she does. She's actually driving because a phone call comes through on her cell phone. Don't drive and look at your phone. And it's her. And all that. It's the her colleague who she was having the affair with on the phone. And so this starts an argument between her husband and herself. Like you said, they drove off a cliff and now no longer visible from the road. So no one knows they're down there. They spend two days down there in the snow outside exposed to the elements before they're found. And her um, husband was dead almost instantly after the um, crash and her daughter died after they were taken up in a helicopter two days later. Yeah. So it's a real tragic story. And she spent that time, those two days out in the elements, trying to keep them alive, forcing juice down their mouth, trying to make them eat trying to warm them, dragging them from under the car till she thought there might be, a, if she thought there may be an avalanche to outside of the car, if she thought the car might topple over on them um, for, yeah, two whole days. And that is why she can no longer even go outside. Okay, so Jane determines that she is insane. She, she's gotten all this feedback. She's like, I really am the problem. Yeah. I need to do something. So she had checked in her phone um, saw the picture of herself. Yeah. Of yeah. herself sleeping. And she she even kind of talked herself and saying, yeah, it does look like I took that myself. Yeah, it's a selfie. Yeah, it's a selfie. This photo she, that was emailed to me. So she deletes the picture. The next picture that pops up is a picture that she took when Jane Russell was sitting in her home. Mm -hmm. And in that picture, as she looks at it a little harder, she notices Jane's reflection in the picture. Yeah. So she calls Ethan and is like, you got to come over here right now. It's time to come clean. I don't know what's going on, but something going on and I ain't crazy. Yeah, she, mm -hmm. she's, she's convinced now because she finally has proof that the other Jane, the Jane that she saw is a real person. <laughs> she's convinced. Mm -hmm. So invites Ethan over. Well, when she invites Ethan over, Ethan, I think he has to use the bat. I don't understand why he always has to use the bathroom in her house, but that's a weird thing. He yeah. did. He goes off to the bathroom. When he comes out of the bathroom, he's like, house punches Paul, mm -hmm. something like that. And she's like, I don't know. That's not what I called you here for. I want you to look at this picture. I want you to see something. Because Punch has been limping her cat. Yeah. Yeah. So he shows you the picture. She, Anna, shows Ethan the picture. Ethan looks at the picture. He's like, what is that? I don't know what you're showing me. Mm -hmm. She said, look closer. And he can see the woman <laughs> that is not Jane Russell mm -hmm. in the picture. He then confesses. He reveals that the woman in the picture is Catherine, mm -hmm. his biological mother. And she was trying to see him and be a part of his life. All had changed. In the past, she was, uh, 
drug addict and that took her away from proper raising of her child. Mm -hmm. And now she's all cleaned up. And so she wants to be a part of his life, but he's been adopted. So the Jane Russell that's across the window that came into his house, that's the real Jane Russell. The woman that was murdered was Catherine, his biological she was mom. Murdered. So, so Lin, uh, Linda, Anna starts thinking back, who said Jane Russell first? Right. So when this woman like rescued her from her uh, episode outside, she goes, Anna goes, you must be Jane Russell. And Catherine just let that slide. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Because I don't need to tell you that I'm actually Ethan's biological mother who used to have a drug problem. who's right. trying to be in his life now. She um, Ethan kind of explains that away and says, yeah, she told me that happened. She was nervous. She mm -hmm. didn't know what to say. So she went along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Anna tells Ethan, look, we got to go to the police. We got to go to the police now. We got to <laughs> tell on your parents because this is real. This is murder. She it now happens. has backup proof. Yeah, Ethan is like, my mom wanted to keep Catherine away from me. And so my mom murdered her. Yes. Ethan convinces Anna that he's going to go home and tell his parents to confess. Yeah, because if they come forward with their crime, they will have a lighter consequence. Yeah. Is everyone's agreement. And for some reason, that's what they want for them. Yeah. They want a lighter consequence. <laughs> yeah. So he goes back home. Guess the house gets dark now. They close the shades and something. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, the thought is that he's going over to tell what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. She later gets a text message because she wanted to be updated. We're going to the police. Yeah. Ethan tells her, OK, we're, we're going to go. OK. They she agreed. goes to sleep. A drug-induced sleep. She's knocking back pills and wine. I'm awake with instant clarity, as though I've been doused with water. My eyes spring wide. A spine of light runs across the ceiling above. I roll from bed and pad to the curtains, throw them back. The room fades to gray around me. Through the windows, through the rain, I see the Russell's house shouldering an unholy sky. A jagged seam of lightning up above, a deep toll of thunder. I return to bed. Punch whines quietly as I settle in. How's Punch's paw? That was it. The knot in my stomach. When Ethan visited the day before yesterday, when he found the cat draped along the back of a sofa, Punch slid to the floor and wriggled underneath. I squint my eyes, replay the scene from every angle. No, Ethan didn't see, couldn't have seen his lame leg. Or could he? Feeling for Punch now, closing my fingers on his tail, he rustles against me. I check the time on the phone, 1.10 a.m. The digital light spangles in my eyes. I squeeze them shut, then peer at the ceiling. How did he know about your paw? I ask the cat in the dark. Because I visit you at night, says Ethan. Ethan <laughs> is in a room. Ah! That's crazy. Ethan was in the house. Ethan was in the house. Also, he's in the house all the time at night. Yeah. All also, the time. your passwords don't work because I've been changing them just to mess with you. Yeah. Also, that photo of you sleeping, I took it. I set up the e Gmail account. I yeah. took the photo. He just starts revealing everything. Also, you're a terrible child psychologist. He I don't respect you as um as a doctor. 
That was pretty low. Because you never caught this. And it was like so in your face. This is what Ethan is telling her. He said, I've seen many psychologists. Yeah. Hello. I have bipolar disorder. Duh. Which is weird because that's what AJ Finn says he has. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Allegedly. Okay, go ahead. No, he admitted to that. Okay, good. Yeah. So... Yeah, he's like spilling all the beans. I'm watching you. I kind of like you. I like older women. And I'm, and this is mom issue. Mm-hmm. He said, I probably got dad issues too. <laughs> because, he, <laughs> because he really wanted to know who his dad was. So it turns out that Ethan killed Catherine. Catherine. Yeah. Here's why. She wanted to be in his life, but he only wanted one thing from her. And that is to know about his father, who he was, just everything that he could know about her. And she refused to tell him. She, in fact, said, what does it matter? Mm -hmm. And it really, really mattered to him. So he couldn't let that go. And once he realized that she was not going to tell him, he killed her. Mm -hmm. He was done. With a letter opener. With a letter opener. And his dad was there yeah his dad witnessed it and helped him hide the body yeah yeah and and no one told the mom no the one real told the jane mom. russell the real jane russell when they moved in to the the brownstone across the park was actually out of town mm-hmm. while Catherine was making these visits to mm-hmm. the house crazy right so this is the part of the book where if you're reading it at night, you turn on all the lights. <laughs> <laughs> so he can, he says to Anna, I only told you the other story to shut you up and stop you from being so intrusive in our lives. And he said, what other story? The story about um, Jane Russell killing Catherine. That, how would that shut her up? That's what he said. Okay. That's what he said. So he intends to kill Anna and let, make it look like a suicide. Also, Grandma Lizzie, that's me. Oh, right. That's I've been logging thing. into the Agora forum for um, people who suffer from agoraphobia and just messing with you because you, you interest me and I have nothing else to do. And it's fun. And you're a terrible. Did I mention you're a terrible psychologist? He is indeed a psychopath. Yeah, he is indeed a psychopath. So an attempt to kill her. They fight. There's a struggle that um, goes on for way too long. This, it does. This it is the part of the book does. where the author is like, I really want this to be a movie, you guys. <laughs> it, go, it absolutely goes on for yeah. um, too long. This fight and struggle leads them up to the rooftop. Yeah, the garden rooftop. And as we know, she struggles with going outdoors. So as she's struggling to defend herself, she's also struggling to get outside yeah, because she knows that's the best way to kind of get a hold on him. Mm-hmm. So to distract Ethan, she tells him that Katie told her who his father was. And he's like, wait, what? Yeah. First of all, he's monologuing, which is not <laughs> something that happens in real life and only kind of happens in movies. <laughs> so this is really the I felt like AJ Finn is letting us know he wants this to be on film within 12 months. Or he is going to make up a lie to really end all lies. <laughs> okay, I like end all lies. So that kind of distracts him because he's like, wait, what? What yeah. did she tell you? You lying. That didn't happen. But she starts to give some information because she kind of did talk 
Katie kind of did talk about him, but not in depth. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't go into details. She does not know who Ethan's father is. Ethan's father is. So, but that um, allows her to direct him to the unsteady skylight mm-hmm. and he crashes through. Yeah, from the roof all the way down to the first floor and dies. He dead. Dead. Mm hmm. So, let's take a quick break. Got it. That was a story, right? Oh, boy, was it? <sighs> so, Kari? Yeah. What's your final verdict? So, I will say, this book, the prose in this book, really kept me on the edge of my seat. I felt the pacing was excellent. It does feel like the beta for a screenplay. Does this it really? does feel like all you're missing is, like, the stage mapping. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he he wants this to be a movie and he got wow. his wish because it's going to be a movie in 2020. Um, but despite that, I felt like it it really took me into the mind of Anna when Detective Little revealed that Anna's husband and daughter were dead. I was genuinely shocked. Mm-hmm. I love a twist. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't trust Anna. And since I can't trust Anna, I also can't trust that Jane ever existed. Maybe Anna did make her up for attention. Yeah. And then when she was lying in bed, chewing over this issue about Punch's paw and Ethan speaks in the dark (laughs) at 1 a.m. freaked me out. Freaked me out. I thought it was Ethan up until this point, but the you so did. this was very good. Yes, because I I've already thought it was Ethan because we were just too secure in his good boyness mm. from the beginning. That was shoved down your throat that Ethan is just a good child. Whatever you think a good child is, that's Ethan because he helps um, children with mental disabilities learn to swim. Buy it way. on thick. Okay, <laughs> he was like, and I don't help. Disabled child. Oh, so when he's monologuing, he's hilarious. He said, I don't help them. So I already knew Ethan did it. But when it was revealed, I was genuinely shocked, genuinely creeped out. And during his monologue, which is completely ridiculous, when he's telling her, you're a terrible psychologist, you should have caught this by now. Also, I would rather kill myself than help mentally disabled kids learn to swim. He is. Ethan's got some jabs for the world and I was <laughs> uh, yeah that was great um, this chase through the house and final scene way too long yeah however um, despite that I would say and also language so you should know I, I mean there is a caveat there that once Ethan comes clean he's filthy in the he mouth he is so I'm like why yeah. why is that necessary mm-hmm. Still, A Woman in the Window, if you are a fan of, you know, suspense, thrillers. Yeah, I'd recommend it for some people. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed reading it. What about you, Alexis? Would you recommend this book? What do you think? What are your final thoughts? I enjoyed it very much. Mm. Um, Even though I felt like it was a slow start for me, Mm -hmm. I did get into it. There were moments I was like, her family had died on the cliff. Yeah. That that was a um, big deal. And I could, I just felt like I knew the family was dead already. Oh, not from the beginning, just okay. when they started telling the story about mm-hmm. it. Um, 
but they didn't say it. That kind of left us hanging there. Yeah. Because they found us. They finally found us. That's mm-hmm. what she said, right? And oh, when they were over the cliff, yeah, they found him two days later. Yeah. And he still had um, a faint heartbeat. Mm. But I was attached to the family. Um, the way they talked throughout. So I really did enjoy the book. I thought the story was good. Whoever he stole this from. <laughs> oh, allegedly. Maybe AJ Finn wrote it. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Whoever wrote it can write. Can write. <laughs> but I got to say, AJ Finn has never been accused of being a poor writer. Mm. And all, that entire article that yes, I listened to. That was not the thing that, that was people were upset thing. about. Right. That is yeah, nice. So right. I really enjoyed his book. It was really great. Well written. Um, I well, love this is a two book deal. So we're getting another book sooner than later. Oh, that's right. And he already started to talk about what that book will be. About. Yeah. So will it be in the Anna universe? Um, or I, is this a completely new idea? I think it's a new idea. Okay. I think it's a new idea, but I, I have a note here that talks about it. Oh, yes. His second novel will be set in San Francisco. And have an Agatha Christie flavor. Oh, he's going to get back at the Agatha Christie book about him. Yeah, set in a Victorian <laughs> mansion. Great. A story of revenge, a female thriller writer, and an interviewer who speaks, who, excuse me, who learns of a dark past. And of course, he hopes this is going to be a television series. But <laughs> you know, get your money, AJ. Get in. Get in there where you fit in. So what are we reading next episode, Alexis? Animal Farm. That's right. Yes, George Orwell's classic about uh, animals, animals on a farm. That's all. That's all it's about. <laughs> yeah. No. Thank you, readers, for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. If you're enjoying what you're listening to or what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit litsocietypod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read something. something.